wherever you are, you do not want to be someone on that day who is living a life at odds with kingdom values. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part three of Prepare the Way of the Lord, a series in eight parts by Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul is nearing his sixth month as teaching pastor at Bethany Bible Church, and he joins us today for a brief conversation. So welcome, and thanks for joining us, Pastor Paul. How's the new job going? Thanks, Matt. Things are going really well. I'm excited to see all that the Lord is doing amongst us, It's a busy time at Bethany Bible Church. We're welcoming new members. We have lots of young families, many, many children each Sunday. And just last week, we celebrated as a handful of our folks were baptized. To those listening, I'd invite them to worship with us at Bethany Bible Church. Our beautiful campus overlooks the city of Thousand Oaks. We meet every Sunday morning and Sunday evening. We'd love to see you there. Thanks, Pastor Paul. We want you to know that we all benefit because you are here, so we wish you the best and God's continued blessing on your ministry. As we listen to part three now in our series, Prepare the Way of the Lord. Even seeing Jesus as God is something that lies out with our ability. Even seeing him as God needs to be a God-given gift in our hearts. Consider the fact as a testimony of just how we are unable to do this. We are unable to make this confession. Consider just as a testimony all of the heresies throughout church history and all of the cults that exist around biblical Christianity. If you do a quick survey of church history and you note in particular the church councils, when people got together to say, we have got to sort this out, nearly all of them are in response to a misteaching concerning one thing, the nature of Christ. Now, there's been some other heresies along the way, but I would say about 90% of the heresies that have plagued the church throughout its history have centered on the person of Christ. Because in and of ourselves, apart from any working of God's grace in our hearts, we don't want to ascribe to Jesus' deity. And so we find a way to subtly, ever so subtly, twist the truth about him, and now we're off onto a new trajectory and we just lost the gospel. Or consider the cults that exist around biblical Christianity today. It breaks my heart when the Jehovah Witnesses show up at my door Because unlike other worldly religions, they are leading people to hell with a Bible in their hands. It is one of the saddest things to think that they are so zealous in going door to door, misleading people concerning eternal things with a Bible in their hands. And I will spend as long as they will give me hours with them to say, Jesus is God. 
And you have got to embrace this reality if you are going to do anything about your sin before your creator. And so, with all of that said, just by way of example of the fact you can't even make this confession apart from God's grace in your heart, would you pray that God would open your eyes to see Jesus as God? I want to speak really specifically right now to anyone here that has never dealt with their sin. You might love coming to church, and we love you being here. You might love being here for so many good reasons. But if you haven't dealt with your sin, eternally speaking, you are no better off than anyone else in the world that has vehemently rejected Christ. You can fit in and say the right thing and look the part, but if you haven't dealt with your sin before God, there's no eternal benefit to your coming on a Sunday morning. And so if that is you, please would you pray with me as I have prayed for you this week that God would give you the gift of faith so as to see Jesus as God. Because that is where the doctrine of repentance must begin. Now, John moves on, point three, to talk about the certainty of repentance. Having shown us the call and then the theological grounds, he then ministers to us the certainty with which we must repent. Verse four, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I love this verse. <laughs> Did you ever notice just how out of place this verse is? Matthew's talking about repentance, eternally shaping truths. He's talking about the, the coming of the kingdom in Isaianic terms of mountains being flattened to the ground and valleys being lifted up. He's asserting the deity of Jesus Christ. And then he says, by the way, John had a belt and he ate locusts. It's so out of place. And as a, as a Bible studying tip, have your eyes open for these kind of things. It doesn't sit within the flow of these grand theological truths. So then John is wanting you to ask a question. You ought to ask, why did Matthew tell us this? He felt burdened to let us know of John's dress and his diet. It might be in your Bible that you have a cross-reference to the book of Kings. And that's a good cross-reference. Some of these cross-references are really, really helpful. What Matthew is doing by presenting to us the clothing and the diet of John the Baptist is he is presenting to us this forerunner in the likeness of the prophet Elijah. If you go back to the book of Kings, you'll see Elijah is described in the same way. And so Matthew wants us to know this man, John, is in the likeness of Elijah. Now, why is that important? Because there is an Old Testament expectation that Elijah the prophet would come again before the Messiah. 
So Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 4 in particular teach the truth that Elijah the prophet will come again before the Messiah arrives. And that expectation is testified to by the disciples in Matthew's gospel all the way forward in Matthew 17 when they say to Jesus, the teachers of the law have taught us that Elijah would come first. So Matthew wants to show us John is is fitting in with biblical expectations. Matthew is showing us that John the Baptist was a forerunner. He is showing us that John the Baptist was a forerunner to Jesus and nothing more. Never a truer word did John the Baptist speak when he said, I must decrease that he would increase. John understood himself perfectly. He understood himself in relation to Jesus. And he said, I'm not the main thing. I'm not the centerpiece. I'm not center stage. You see, as you ponder Matthew drawing attention to John's clothing and his diet so as to show us that he's a forerunner, there is in here an implicit warning. Don't latch on to John. Undoubtedly, this would have been a temptation for many in John's day. This strange man emerges out of the wilderness. He has a seemingly very successful ministry immediately. Lots of people are flocking to John. There would have been undoubtedly a temptation to latch on to John and say, I'm all about this guy. Matthew says, don't do it because he is only a forerunner. He is paving the way for Jesus whom you are to worship. He is to be the object of your faith and not John. Now, as I say that, perhaps you're sitting there saying, okay, great, not a problem for me. We didn't show up this morning and sing songs about John the Baptist. We didn't pray prayers giving thanks for John the Baptist. And over fellowship this afternoon, I don't doubt there will be anyone who says, tell me how you first came to know John the Baptist. (laughs) He doesn't feature in our thinking. But just broaden the principle. You can repent of your sins based on all number of things, not necessarily the ministry of John the Baptist. There are many, many reasons why you may have repented of your sins. There are many reasons that you could give for having turned away from something that you know dishonors the Lord. Church, again, could easily function in this way. I love this church. I just want to be accepted by these people. I love having my friends on a Sunday morning. And I know what their lives are like, so I'm going to make sure my life looks like that. In order to get that acceptance, I'll just stop doing this and this and this. And there's my repentance. That is not biblical repentance. It is not true repentance. And what you'll see if you wait long enough is is that it is not lasting repentance. That kind of repentance does not last. Seen it before, the young man repents because there's a young girl. A young man that I knew many years ago. He was not a believer, but, but like this young girl. And so 
spending time with her and he, he really wants to be more in her life. And so, sure enough, before you know it, he's now a Christian, repented of his sin. And things look different. They really do look different. And for a season as well. But the girl doesn't stick around. The relationship doesn't go on. It does end, and so does his repentance. You see, the theological grounds of your repentance will become the substance of your faith. Whatever is the impetus for you turning away from sin, that grounds of your repentance will be the object of your faith. And it is if it is not Jesus, the God-man, then you do not have biblical faith. The call that Matthew issues here to repent from your sin is one that is grounded in the truth concerning Jesus and nothing else. May it be true of all of us that we have turned away from our sin, but only in so much as the theological basis for that turning away is an acknowledgement that Jesus is God and not something else. Not Jesus plus something else, and not something else apart from Christ, but Christ alone. That is when there is true, meaningful, lasting repentance in your life. And that leads to the last point, which is the significance of such repentance. We see in verse 5, Jerusalem All Judea, all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Matthew, I think, here uses hyperbole. We know that not all of Judea and all of the region flocked to John because we'll see in just a few chapters' time that there were many that still opposed Jesus, that had not received this baptism. But he's trying to make a point about just how many responded to this sermon, to this call to repent. Notice in verses 5 and 6 just how Jewish is Matthew's description of the response. Jerusalem, or Judea, or the region about the Jordan. Possibly there would have been Gentiles that responded to John's call, possibly. But Matthew doesn't draw attention to them He labors the Jewish response. And that's interesting because baptism was a thing before John the Baptist. It was a thing, but not for the Jews. The Jews had no need to be baptized. The only baptism that would have been practiced prior to John's ministry was for those who were seeking to come into and be identified with the nation of Israel. So it was possible as a Gentile to say, I want in on this, I want to be considered one of God's people, I declare myself to be no longer a Gentile but a Jew, and you would be baptized to signify that transition. That was, culturally speaking, the baptism that would have been practiced in John's day. So the Jews had no need to be baptized. And yet, Matthew draws attention to the Jewish response. And he says the Jews were coming out, and they, who culturally had no need to be baptized, they were being baptized. 
as a marker of their identification with John's message. They were proclaiming, I am now adhering myself to the ministry of John, specifically his preaching about the Christ and the coming kingdom. And I don't doubt that as many of these went home that day, they would have been ostracized. They would have been left out by their families, by their townsfolk, by their work colleagues and friends for having made such a bold declaration so as to be baptized as a Jew. But it is a testimony to the sincerity of their repentance. They are putting it all on the line by saying, I am in this and in this genuinely. I am in this and I understand there is no going back. That is what their baptism signifies. Now, a note about baptism for us, it is a command in the Christian faith. This wasn't just for the time of John the Baptist. It carries on to this very day. If you've professed faith in Christ, turned away from your sin, Jesus commands you to be baptized. It doesn't effect salvation but it signifies salvation. To be baptized is to say, something's happened in my life. Or more to the point, Jesus has paid for my sins. If you are here this morning as a Christian and have not been baptized, this is a command that comes to you in obedience to Jesus in a demonstration of the work God has done in your life, you should be baptized. More broadly, allow the baptisms in this passage to speak to you today about the permanence of their repentance. Our repentance is not to be light-hearted, temporary for a season. Christian repentance takes sin seriously and turns from it ongoingly. You don't repent while you're at church and then the next week you're found back in that sin. You don't repent while the going's easy and then when it gets tough, you're back there again. True repentance is one that deals with your sin seriously. You turn from it and say, I am done with that now, and I'm never to return. And in order to effect such ongoing, deliberate, and permanent repentance, you bring other people in on your life. You understand that's God's design with the church, is that we would be doing this together. Repentance cannot be a lone ranger affair. You can't do this successfully by yourself. You have to bring people in and say, I want to tell you about this in my life. I want to pray with you and ask you to pray for me. And I want to ask that God would affect such permanent repentance in my life that it aligns with the biblical text. And then you build in some accountability. You'll be amazed how far a little accountability in your life will go. You build in new patterns of living. I don't go here and I don't do this, not that these things in and of themselves are sinful, but I know that they become gateways to this sin. And I'm dealing with my sin seriously. I'm repenting for it. So I'm not going there anymore. I'm making a choice to not do this. And by God's grace, you actually repent of your sin. 
such that whether you're coming into membership or have been in membership for many years, you can always give an answer to the question of how your life is different this year to how it was last year. Tell me what God is doing in your life today. Tell me how you're a different person from the person that was here two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. I am continually repenting of my sin by the Lord's grace. As Matthew shows us that Jesus is the king, the very first implication is that we would repent of our sin because he is bringing the kingdom. Let's pray now to close. Our Father, we praise you this morning for John the Baptist, his ministry acting as a forerunner to Jesus Christ, preaching the message that Jesus himself will go on to preach, repent for the kingdom is near. Father, I do pray that we would take this message seriously, that we would understand the implication, the most immediate implication that comes from the kingship of Christ is that we would turn from our sin that we would not live our lives in a way that runs contrary to the principles, the ethics, the teaching about the kingdom. I pray this morning that you would open our eyes to see our sin. And as you bring it into our view, that we would repent. Father, that you would give us the grace to think differently about our sin, to turn from our sin and to walk in a direction that honors you. I pray this morning for anyone here who has never done this. Father, that you would be gracious to quicken their hearts unto repentance. That they would see Jesus as God. And in seeing his glory, would humbly and genuinely confess their sin before you and turn from it. And I pray as we see this response to John's ministry, so many who were so ready and willing to make a public declaration about their new way of life, I do pray that it would be true for all of us. We are baptized and found to be repenting, turning from our sin, making a beeline for the glory of Christ in our lives. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Pastor Paul has given us a picture of how Matthew admiringly depicts John the Baptist, Christ's forerunner. Old Testament writers foretold that the prophet John was an Elijah-type figure who appears in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. Despite having a death sentence upon him from the reigning king, Elijah did great things under the Holy Spirit's anointing. John the Baptist was busy proclaiming our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing many of his own followers would soon leave him. Christ's gospel is good news, even though we must repent of our sin which was John's message as he went about baptizing. God's kingdom welcomes us, and by Christ's resurrection power, we have learned to hate our sin and repent. If you want to hear more great teaching, visit our website, 
TimelessTruthToday.org. Press Broadcasts on the homepage, and there's a free archive of Pastor Paul's teachings and those teachings you may have missed from this series. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. And remember, if you don't have a local church to attend, we'd welcome you to worship with us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Come Monday, join us for part four in our series, Prepare the Way of the Lord. I'm Matt Williams, hoping you have a great weekend, and thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.